the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Here we go! Welcome to Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Live is brought to you by Sutton and Janelle Attorneys at Law. Visit their new location at 224 West King Street, Martinsburg, and online at suttonandjanelle.com. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner and Marsha Kabalik. It is Wednesday the 24th, and you are tuned in to Panhandle Live, brought to you by Sutton and Janelle, full-service law firms from West Virginia and Maryland, helping individuals, families, businesses with all of their legal needs, family law, criminal defense, DUI, personal injury, mediation. They provide legal counsel tailored to you. You can visit our new historic location in downtown Martinsburg at 224 West King Street. You can always find them online at suttonandjanelle.com. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Marsha is out for the Thanksgiving break, and today... It's a big day because for a lot of people, it is your Friday. It's the last work day of the week before uh, the extended Thanksgiving break. And then, of course, today is the biggest social holiday of the year, Thanksgiving Eve. So uh, maybe you'll be going out, hitting some local establishments, maybe seeing some people you haven't seen in a while, or maybe seeing some people you haven't seen in a while and remembering why you haven't seen uh, those people in a while. But happy Thanksgiving from all of us here at WEPM to all of you out there in Radio Land, like Pastor White uh, likes to say here on Sundays. But speaking of today... And speaking of Thanksgiving, today is not only the biggest social day uh, of the year, it's also the biggest travel day of the year. Uh, And I'm sure you've been hearing a lot about that today and throughout the week, but uh, for good reason, because in our area, I mean, the uh, I-95, the I-81, I-70 corridors are always busy and packed, but they are going to be extra busy and packed today. Now, specifically, I-95, Virginia 123, I-395, the worst time to be traveling on that, uh, other than normal business hours, any day, uh, any week day of the year is today between 2 and 4 p.m. Now they're expecting 230 percent over normal capacity out on the roads and they're saying that the roads are where a lot of the travel congestion is going to be because people are still a little wary of getting on the planes. That's not saying people aren't getting on the planes. Uh, I saw this morning on the news that they were talking about how uh, airline air flights uh, ticket numbers are back up to pre-pandemic levels and things like that. So people are still flying, but not as many uh, as you would expect. A lot of people are going to hop in the car and go driving uh, for their Thanksgiving holidays. So if you're going to be going out D.C. way or maybe even around here, it looks like between 2 and 4 today is when the worst travel is going to be. Now, speaking of traffic here in the Panhandle, looking at the I-81 corridor, well, it looks like all is clear today from Maryland all the way down to Virginia. Don't even see any yellow over on the WV511 org uh, interactive traffic map not even a little speck of yellow which this time yesterday it was all red the entire length of the or the entire width of the panhandle that is but yeah so that's what you got to look forward to travel wise today if you're going to be getting out and about uh, the weather though is going to be in your favor today we're looking at a high of 50 sunny skies although it is freezing out there right now it's about 30 degrees no thanks i'm gonna stay in this studio for as long as i can until it gets up to that 50 but then looking at thanksgiving for weather 
Well, it's going to be a perfect day, perfect spring day for Thanksgiving. High of 60, partly cloudy skies, and then that weather is pretty much going to continue on into the weekend. But with today pretty much being everybody's Friday, well, I'm going to kind of do a laid-back panhandle live today. How's that sound? I think it sounds pretty good. If I could ask myself the question, I'm going to play back a couple of interviews that you know I thought were good interviews from the last week or so. And getting things started, it's going to be Carol Holden. Now, uh, if you were tuned in uh, a week or so ago, we uh, caught up with Carol Holden, who was Sam Huff's partner. A lot of people know Sam Huff from the Redskins and, you know, being the big football figure that he was here in West Virginia and around the D.C. area, Panhandle area. But another thing that people don't know a lot about was his second life, which was horse racing. You could hear him on here on WEPM with his trackside show and Carol Holden had a front row seat to all of that. So here she is. Joining us on the phone now is Carol Holden, Sam Huff's partner and president of the West Virginia Breeders Classic. How are you doing this morning? Thanks for taking some time to join us here on Panhandle Live. Fine, thank you. I'm happy to help you. Thank you so much for answering the call. And I should thank uh, Paul Espinoza, by the way. Uh, the, he's got a huge Rolodex. And I mm-hmm. said, hey, I need... I, I need some numbers, and he was great. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that was appropriate and okay. But uh, on this day, when we're remembering Sam Huff, uh, it it's great to have you on. And I know Hoppy is going to talk a lot about uh, Sam Huff and his football career. But you and I talked a little bit before the show. We're not going to talk about football, are we? <laughs> No, that's not really my department. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, talk about horses then, because uh, yes, we know that sports and uh, football was a big part of his life, but it seems like uh, horses and racing ho- and race horses really had a special hold on him, uh, really for all of his life. Yes, when he was in New York, he used to go to the races occasionally with some of the other players, and that, although uh, we didn't really talk about it that much, but he knew a lot of the people back in the 60s and that the jockeys and that that were big names in New York. And I guess that sort of got him interested and uh, used to go to the Kentucky Derby every year with his friend Herman Bisher, who was um, with the Atlanta Journal sports writer there. So he, he had the interest and he was actually involved in one or two horses with Brereton Jones, who uh, was the uh, governor of Kentucky at one point. And I believe the family was originally from West Virginia, a point of interest. But um, I, I had uh, an office in Middleburg, and I was doing racing syndications. And um, there was an article in a Baltimore business paper about me. And actually, Sam's accountant at the time said, well, here, if you want to be in the horse business, do it this way. Because with syndications, you don't have all of the bills yourself. You may not get all the winnings, but the, the bills in horse racing can be fairly large. So. Oh, yeah. He made an appointment with me to come to the office in, in Middleburg, and one of the things I always remember, he was an hour early, and I was rather busy because I was also administrator of the West Virginia Thoroughbred Development Fund, so I was back and forth between Charlestown and, and Middleburg, and I thought, oh, darn, I'm not finished all my work, but that was Sam. Uh, we used to kid him. He was always early. One week he outdid himself because he was a week early to go to the airport for one of his trips. A week early, huh? A a week early, yeah. (laughs) And one other time we got to uh, Dulles Airport and got all the way up to the counter and that. And here our flight was leaving from Dulles, but we were so early. We had, I mean, excuse me, from Reagan. Uh, we were so early, we had plenty of time to get there. Well, hey, if you're flying out of Reagan, it's probably not that bad of an idea to get there a week early. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm bummed. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he, go ahead. Oh, I just say he he was well known at Dulles Airport because of flying with Marriott and with the Redskins during the radio 
they knew him, you know, by name and recognition when he walked in. So when when you met him and you knew he had this kind of interest in in uh, horse racing, did he seem legitimate to you, or did you kind of have to show him the ropes, as it were? My initial reaction when I saw the the note, um, Sam Hoff Marriott Corporation, um, I thought, oh, it's just another executive looking for a day to come to Middleburg. Mm-hmm. So then as he got there and he told me he already had property here in, in Middleburg where he developed the farm. So he used to drive through Middleburg on his way to West Virginia and kind of had it in his mind that this is where he wanted wanted to be. Uh, long before I, I met him, but he was familiar with the area from coming through and stopping at, at the coach stop, which was a restaurant in Middleburg that had been there. Unfortunately, it closed, but it would have been around, in, I think, 75 years or so. So um, it was a regular stopping point for people going through Middleburg. Now, this is just a general horse question, I guess, here. But uh, how come this area... Now, I grew up just on the other side of the river in Maryland where you don't necessarily have any horse farms, right? But you're still in the same uh, geographic situation. So how come this area in you know, northern Virginia and the panhandle of West Virginia, how come it's such a big area for horses and thoroughbred racing and things like that, if you have the answer to that? Well, I, you can sort of go back to the, the history of Virginia. Uh, it was... Uh, settled by a lot of people, Cavaliers, brought over from a, the tradition of England. Um, it's actually been called the Listershire of, of America, which refers to an area in in England that is a major hunting and, and horse area. Um, good grass, good climate, and Maryland does have a lot of farms, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've had a tremendous growth in their racing in the last few years of racing and breeding. But um, it's just a, a nice area, and one of the things with with the Charlestown racetrack nearby, it, it it gave a lot of people an incentive to have some horses and go to the races where they could go easily, you know, without having to catch a plane to Kentucky yeah. or Florida or California or that. And things kind of melded in together because even though it's in, in the industry now, it's sort of talked about as a really big deal and something new as far as repurposing thoroughbreds. It's been very common around here for the horses that raced at Charlestown to find a new career, whether it be as a steeplechase horse, a fox hunter, um, or a horse show uh, participant. So it's just all melded together. We had some very wealthy families here in Virginia. Of course, Mm -hmm. Paul Mellon was right up the road in Upperville, and Thomas Mellon Evans and the Nidri Stud down in the Charlottesville area. It's changed a lot since then, but that was certainly a major part. And in fact, at the Saratoga sales, the yearling sales that they have every year in August, at one time, uh, they had Friday night was just horses from Virginia uh, hmm. selling that night. Now, we don't have that anymore, but uh, because a lot of the polo is very big now, and of course, they're oh, yeah. very good in the polo field. Now, I don't know and how they do that. That's a sport that I don't know how they can physically do it. Uh, having to deal with I, well, the horses and the the polo ball around and all that, and everybody flying around the same field. Um, it, it's fun to watch, especially <laughs> the high goal players. Mm-hmm. I did just a little bit of. I, I can't say I played polo. I played at it, <laughs> and one of the most amazing things is when the riders change horses during the middle of the chucker. They rush off, jump from one to the other, and of course they've got a, a major set of reins, four mm-hmm. reins and a crop. And how they can do that, because when I was taking my lessons in that 
I had to slowly figure out where all my my fingers went through the reins and that, <laughs> and, and they do it at you know twenty thirty miles an oh, yeah. hour practically. Well, that's a sport that I definitely won't be doing because I get uh, slightly terrified when I get on top of a horse, so I might be staying away uh, from polo. But again, we're speaking with Carol Holden, Sam Huff's partner and president of the West Virginia Breeders Classic. Now, uh, speaking of the Breeders Classic that is down at Charlestown, can you kind of let uh, for folks that might be tuning in and just hearing about this for the first time, kind of let people know about the West Virginia's Breeders Classic and kind of how how Sam Huff brought that to be? We went to the, um, I guess it was the first Maryland Million, and uh, Jim McKay, by the way, was very instrumental in getting that started. And it's a takeoff from the Breeders' Cup, which is the year-end championships mm-hmm. in thoroughbred racing. Um, on the way home, Sam said, well, why can't we do this in West Virginia? And I said, well, we don't have enough horses, because the Maryland Million and the Breeders' Cup is set up just on horses by nominated stallions oh, to yeah. the program. So what we had to change was horses bred and sired uh, in West Virginia. I won't go into the details, <laughs> but basically it opens up the races for yeah. them. And at the time, the first year, 1987, uh, well, Rich Wilkie from the Maryland Million actually helped us and introduced us to the attorney that was familiar with all of that sort of thing. And... It was very helpful because the governor at the time, Arch Moore, was familiar with the Maryland Million, the Kentucky Derby racing in, in general, and Harry Book, who was uh, chairman of the West Virginia Racing Commission, was very involved. So we had a lot of things that sort of came together in very good order. Mm-hmm. That, uh, and Sam being who he is in West Virginia, um, that gave him a, a, a tremendous advantage, but also Sam really didn't understand the word no. It yeah. just wasn't in his <laughs> his category, and he didn't know that it, it could not be done, so he went into it with that attitude. And everyone who had some say in it, I will say, as far as uh, Dickie Moore, who was racing secretary at the time, was all for it and hmm. um, had the help of the... Uh, the racing commission and and the governor so couldn't announce it though um it was a strange time because the teachers were threatening to go on strike and sam was trying to sell sponsorship in races that had never happened and couldn't be uh, promoted um because even though it was racing money that was going to be spent um i don't know if you're at all familiar with it but lots of times everybody thinks people involved in racing are extremely wealthy and money to throw around and not necessarily um, the case. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. Uh, if you were involved in it and you saw the, the interactions of it, the bills and uh, where all the money goes, it doesn't necessarily go to the, the owners and, and that. But um, so that that's really how it started. And, and was this late finally, 80s, late 1980s? The eight, 1987. Okay. Yeah, we went to the breeder, or the, excuse me, the Maryland Million in the fall of 86, got started with. Rich Wilkie and the attorneys to get the paperwork in order, the bylaws, and first year was 1987, and we never thought we'd be talking about West Virginia Breeders' Classics <laughs> number 35. Right, it's amazing. So Carol Holden is with us. So we're remembering the life of Sam Huff, and I know Hoppy's going to have a lot of talk about mm-hmm. him as a football legend and all of that. But before we have to let you go, what do you want to let our listeners here at WEPM WCST, we're trackside broadcast for a number of years. Uh, know about Sam Huff, the person. What What are your remembrances of him as uh, as we're saying goodbye? He was a very kind, generous person, very loving. 
Um, I did a lot of good for people that will probably never be known. Um, back before I met him, I know there was a major flood in West Virginia, and he worked for J.P. Stevens, and he got a couple of truckloads of uh, sheets, towels, and that sort of thing sent to West Virginia. And he still always had West Virginia in his mind and in his heart. He, he loved the state. And Country Roads is a regular. Uh, when the horses come out onto the track for the West Virginia Breeders' Classic, that's the main race. And uh, <laughs> Louis Armstrong, Wonderful World, and My Way are his favorite songs. And I think that sort of wraps up who, who he is and was. Again, Carol Holden, thank you for joining us a little bit this morning. Again, uh, remembering Sam Huff. So uh, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Absolutely. Man, how interesting was that interview a couple weeks ago? Again, with Carol Holden, Sam Huff's partner. And you think you know about somebody, you know, Sam Huff being such a big football figure in the state of West Virginia. And then, of course, with the Redskins and then uh, on the air doing Redskins games. And you see him, you think he's a football guy, right? But then you talk to somebody like this and you get kind of a, a peek behind the curtain on what somebody else was like, you know, outside of what you think uh, they normally did. So that was such an interesting conversation. Again, Carol Holden uh, talking about the late Sam Huff. That was uh, about a day or two after, or might have been a day after he passed away. And you can find that full interview again over on our uh, Panhandle Live Facebook and Spotify page. But stick around for more here on Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Live, the voice of the Panhandle. Here are your hosts, Jordan Warner and Marsha Kavalik. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, brought to you by Sutton and Janelle, full-service law firm serving West Virginia and Maryland. You can visit our new historic location in downtown Martinsburg at 224 West King Street. You can always find them online at suttonandjanelle.com. I'm Jordan Icewarner. Marsha Kavalik is out on vacation for the Thanksgiving holiday, which uh, today's big travel day. I'm keeping an eye on at least I-81 for you. And it seems like everything is good to go uh, here on WestVirginia511.org. It does look like there might be a little bit of traffic forming uh, southbound, just south of the Inwood exit on 81. But I think that's just some normal uh, construction traffic happening there. Uh, but all in all, everything looks to be pretty good on your travel day here on Thanksgiving Eve. But uh, before we get back into listening uh, to a few more interviews, uh, some few important interviews here from the last couple of weeks, uh, I was taking a look at the paper and uh, our good friend, friend of the program, Stacy Roan. Her picture was right there uh, above the fold on the main page uh, talking about how she was named West Region Executive of the Year. Of course, we had her on a couple of days ago to talk about her being named the Midwest Region Executive of the Year. But uh, it's presented to the national member, and I'm reading this uh, you know, verbatim, so don't get it wrong here. It's presented to a national member of the Professional Association of the Boys and Girls Club of America who holds the title, duties, and responsibilities of an executive director, president, or chief executive officer within the organization. And my goodness, she does so much for not only the Boys and Girls Club of the Eastern Panhandle, but for you know the kids and the families that are all involved, and uh, us, you know, Panhandle Live. She's always been a great guest, and she was a co host there for uh, a while while I was out, which is always pretty cool. Uh, but, you know, she says sometimes like uh, ours, like some some clubs like ours sometimes struggle to figure out how to keep our operations going with COVID plus a lot of virtual learning that's been taking place. Uh, it gives me the opportunity to take a step back and see the value uh, in collaborating across the county, across the country with clubs in training. So it's very cool. Congratulations, Stacey Roan, again for being named Midwest Region Executive of the Year for the Boys and Girls Club of America. 
that's a pretty cool honor, and it's cool to say that, uh, you know, she kind of broke that here on Panhandle Live a couple of days ago. Now, uh, speaking of uh, looking through the paper, because I had a little bit of time on my hands this morning, uh, I saw Berkeley Springs Sports getting a little little mention here on the sports page, and it's uh, in terms of golf, which is pretty cool. Uh, Sarah Vieira. She's going to be going to Shepherd, play some golf. She signed her letter of intent uh, a few days ago. Now, she had some interest from uh, Fairmont State, West Virginia Wesleyan, but decided to stay close to home uh, to further her education. Going to be studying nursing, uh, but also playing golf and, ho- and looking to uh, kind of be the leader on this golf team. Uh, and another cool thing, during this past competitive year, she ended up getting a hole-in-one, which, goodness, I wish I could have a hole-in-one. Want to go play golf? Got a friend of mine that's got like four of them. And he lets you know about it every time uh, you go play golf with him. But Shepherd Women's Basketball also out here on the hardwood, and they are dominating. They took down uh, Virginia Union recently. It was an 88-60 to win over Virginia Union. Marley McLaughlin uh, had 24 points. Junior guard Abby Beeman had 23. And then uh, we had a new player of the week, Sydney Clayton where Shepherd University Women's Basketball was named PSAC East Region uh, Player of the Week. That's because she averaged 20 points, 10 rebounds to help Shepherd uh, to a 2-0 week. Uh, in Shepard's first win of the week against Bowie State, she ended up getting a double-double with 19 points, 11 rebounds. Uh, she also had two blocks, two steals. And then when their win against Leak, Lincoln, she had 21 points. She had nine rebounds. Uh, she had two blocks. She had a couple of rebounds. She had a steal. My goodness. Uh, she had a great week of basketball. So, like I told you, we are uh, broadcasting Shepard University basketball right here on 95, or right here on uh, WEPM. We have Shepard University football over on 95.9. The Big Dog. Of course, we got round two of uh, the NCAA Division II football playoffs happening at Shepherdstown at noon against Notre Dame of Ohio. That's going to be a tough game, and we're getting, well, it's win or go home. So you got to win or, well, your season is done. And I don't want this Shepherd season, uh, football season, to end. But uh, it will at some point, and then we will be uh, fully into Shepherd basketball, which they're playing pretty well. The women's team's really good. And that's all happening right here on WPM and on our sister station, 95.9 The Big Dog. But stick around. We are going to be hearing from Maria, Maria Lawrenson here in a second on Panhandle Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Live. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner and Marsha Kavalik. There must be some kind of way out of here. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, brought to you by Sutton and Janelle, full service law firm. Serving West Virginia and Maryland, having individuals, families, businesses with all of their legal needs. You can visit our new historic location in downtown Martinsburg at 224 West King Street. You can always find them online at SuttonEngineL.com. I'm Jordan Ice Warner. Marsha is out for the Thanksgiving holiday. And on this Thanksgiving Eve, well, we're going back and listening to some uh, good, fun, important interviews from uh, the past couple of days, maybe a week uh, prior to this. So, uh, yeah, welcome into Panhandle Live. And we've already heard from Carol Holden. The late Sam Huff's partner and business partner and goodness, uh, talking about not only just football. I mean, everybody knows about Sam Huff and football, but his love for horse racing, which uh, is pretty cool. And I can totally understand where he's coming from from that. So that's a pretty cool uh, interview. But now I want to play you uh, Maria Lawrenson from Hospice of the Panhandle. They have a pretty cool event, pretty important event coming up on December the 3rd. Joining us on the line from Hospice of the Panhandle, it's Maria Lawrenson. Maria, how are you doing this morning? 
that's great. Uh, so I, I'm sorry that you're not in studio with us, but I'm glad that you could join us today. Yeah, absolutely. It was one of those things where I just had a bunch of things I needed to um, to knock out this morning. So um, next time, next time I will be in studio. All right, because, you know, Will comes in the studio with us. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I know, but he's also... Two minutes down the <laughs> down the road. We gotta get we gotta get a uh, a song an intro song for Maria. Now. Should yeah. Uh-huh. There you we gotta go. figure it there out. Go. We'll have to figure that one out. You're gonna have to tell me what you don't want. Like we can't go with the sound of music's. How do you solve a problem like yeah, Maria? I, I know, I know. Yeah, that would be a no, a no go on okay. that one. So. But uh, you, uh, the reason you haven't been able to come in the studio today is because, like you said, you've been crazy busy and you got a lot of stuff coming up here at the beginning of December, right? Yeah, we really do. And um, it's a good busy. It's a good busy. Um, This is the time that we're preparing for our annual uh, Light Up a Life Luminary um, program that we do um, both, well, actually in three locations, um, in Morgan County, and then in Berkeley and Jefferson County, and then in Hampshire County. So um, we're getting ready uh, to launch all of those. Um, folks really love this, um, uh, the, the, the program that we do, which is um, we display luminaries in honor, in memory of their loved ones in those locations that I mentioned. Um, Morgan County on Friday, December the 3rd at 5.15 p.m., and that's out in front of CNB Bank, one of our marvelous business partners, and um, uh, Mark Harrell, the the CEO at CNB, is actually the vice president of our board, so um, so he's very amenable to that uh, to that. Uh, location, needless to say, and then on Sunday, December the 5th, our largest ceremony is here um, on our Berkeley-Jefferson County campus, and that's at 445, and then on Tuesday, December 7th at 515 in Hampshire County at the Schaefer Funeral Home uh, in Romney. So um, it's just a really wonderful way that um, that families, as I said, either honor or remember their loved ones. Um, and it's a pretty spectacular site, um, no matter which of those you attend. But obviously the largest one is the Berkeley and Jefferson County uh, event. And we actually have luminaries that light up um, the entire hospice lane and all around. Wow, that's that's probably buildings. pretty impressive to see. It really, it really is, Jordan. Um, I always joke and say we're not Antietam, but we're close. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that Antietam really. one is I mean, well. That's something like a, to try and live up to. Is that Antietam one? So. Yeah. Two thousand lights versus what do they have there? Twenty thousand, fifty thousand. You know what? Know it's that, not a competition. Right. But it is not, but each of it these has a special meaning because each of them is attached to a loved one. That's that's exactly right. And one of the things that we do is we um, we we very uh, distinctly remember those loved ones. So on every luminary, there is a a card that says in memory or in honor of this particular person. 
And one of the things, um, Ashley, my my cohort, uh, who is actually out on maternity leave now, but who's going to come back for um, for the event, um, one of the things that we do is we go through all of the all of the names, all of the luminary bags, and just make sure that we've got everybody's name. It's quite an event because we alphabetize Marshall and Jordan. So wow. there's like a stake in the ground that says A, B, um, because people come out and it's such a meaningful event for them. They come out and they look for their loved one's mm. bag. Some people have been um, do it for years. It's the way they remember their loved one during the the holidays, and some people do it, um, you know, just the, the the year after their loved one passes. But you know, we have families who like to honor the nurses who cared for their loved one, um, the the grief support staff who. Um, you know, who helped them on the journey after their loved one has passed. So it's a, it's a very meaningful, um, and I call it a celebration. While mm-hmm. it, it can be sad, um, it's also joyful because um, you're able to remember. You remember the, the holidays with your loved one. So, now, how many um, people do you usually have uh, out to participate in this? So, um, so last year and this year, Jordan, we're doing things a little bit differently. We've had before at the Berkeley Jefferson campus, we've had, I hate to say this while it's somebody from the health department, my friend Bill Kearns hopefully is not listening, um, but you know, we'll have 250 people inside. We mm-hmm. do a little ceremony beforehand. We have some, um, some music. Um, we've used a bell choir from St. Joe's School. Marsha's very familiar mm-hmm. with that. But um, because of COVID, both last year and this year, we've decided to to not do that. We just didn't think it would be a good idea to put 250 right. people in our, even though it's large, the education center. Oh, yeah. Um, it's so still it's tough to kind of keep everybody at bay. Socially distant. Exactly. Yeah. And safe. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we broadcast um, the ceremony itself, which is reasonably short. Um, our board chair, G.T. Schramm, who is a, an Episcopalian pastor, um, uh, you know, leads the group in, um, in prayer and then has a few words that he speaks. Uh, Margaret Cogswell, our CEO, does... Um, does remarks as well. And then the other thing that we do is we go through a listing and we read every name of Mm. every person who's been remembered or honored, which is also very moving. Um, It's myself, a volunteer, and GT um, do that. So it's a lovely event. It is pretty much outdoors. We ask people to come um, to be ready to be dressed for outside. It doesn't take all that long. And some people actually come um, after the event. The ceremony isn't, um, isn't what drives them to come, but they do love to see their loved one's mm-hmm. names. And we keep the luminaries up all night. Uh-huh. Um, so you can drive through at any time. Now, are you going to need volunteers? Are you looking for volunteers? 
We, we could use that um, because, needless to say, putting out 2,000 bags mm-hmm. um, takes a little bit of time. I've, uh, um, I've, I've used um, my rotary resources, so both the morning club and the noontime club will be involved. Got them all um, wrapped up. Yeah, in the in the setup, and then the following day on Monday here in Berkeley Jefferson, we have a couple groups that are coming, and we have a core of volunteers as well who love to be involved. Um, not only are they, um, you know, are they they putting out and picking up the bags, but we actually have guides who come out. And we'll show families, like if they can't find the name of their loved ones. Um, we actually have, believe it or not, light guides. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's quite an operation, let me just say. But so. it's also a big honor when, you know, I, I hope at some point during the evening you get a chance to kind of just absorb, you know, all of those those bags and the lights within the bags and, and who they represent and I know you haven't been at Hospice of the Panhandle since its, you know, complete inception, but a lot of those folks are folks that maybe you've interacted with. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh, Marsha. Absolutely. So one of the things that we do, like I said, Ashley and I will go out and check every bag to make sure that, you know, that they correspond with the list that we have. And I'm not going to say that sometimes we don't miss someone, what have you, but, you know, you see people that you know from the community that we've lost in the past year and um yeah so it's it is and one of the things we've done is when it's all over a few of us will go up to the the roof of our two-story building our main office building and just look down and observe like you said and it's just it's spectacular. Um, and one of the things I wanted to mention, the other thing that we've done this year is we've added a component, actually last year was the first year, where people can send the photos of their loved one in in addition to, so in addition to the luminary bag, you have a photo that will flash on the front. This is quite an operation as well. <laughs> Sounds cool, though. Um, on TVs in the windows. So you'll see your loved one's picture come up and it's just amazing. So, um, yeah, so it's a, it's a great, they're, they're just all great events. One more thing I wanted to mention, because you, you mentioned that, you know, in times past, you've had people to be able to assemble physically in the building. Uh, you mentioned on uh, the read ahead that uh, you'll have a ceremony folks can listen to while in their cars. So how That's does that exactly work? Exactly right. Yes. And I'm looking at my little, um, my little cheat sheet here. We will actually have a program that day that will allow people I mean, because it is December and it can be 25 degrees, and they can well, tune not. in um, to um, you know to to a radio piece where they can listen in, and they don't have to roll their windows down, or they can roll their windows down and listen to it um, pretty much live. But I don't I don't have the 
the call numbers here. It's yeah, not sure. you all. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> and we get it. We get it. I'm sure you'll have that. Uh, well, they did the same thing over at uh, HCC for the mm-hmm. Fourth of July thing. You could uh, sit in your car, and they had like some shortwave frequency, yeah. yeah, that you can uh, tune in. So that'll be uh, pretty cool. It's a cool feature to have, especially since, it, like you said, it's probably going to be uh, well. It has a chance to be pretty cold uh, at the beginning of December. But again, we've been speaking with Maria Lawrence from Hospice of the Panhandle. Unfortunately, we have to get uh, to our final break of the day here in just sure. a minute. But can you let everybody know how they can get in touch with you to find out more about Hospice of the Panhandle or maybe get involved? Absolutely. Um, you can call at 304-264-0406. You can also go to our website, www.hotphospiceofthepanhandle.org, and um, you can actually make donations that way, or you can call the general number and make a donation through, um, uh, through the call. Again, Maria Lawrence from Hospice of the Panhandle. Thanks for taking a little bit of time out of your busy day to call in and chat with us a little bit. Get on that theme music. Yeah, yeah. let us know what kind of theme music you want next time you call in. I will. I will do that. (laughs) Thank you. Absolutely. That was Maria Lawrence from Hospice of the Panhandle uh, chatting with us a couple of days ago, talking about all the things that they're doing with Hospice of the Panhandle around the Panhandle. And, of course, uh, their Light Up a Life ceremony on December 3rd. So if you missed any of that, you can always listen back to it, of course, on our Panhandle Live Facebook or Spotify page. But like I said uh, a couple of days ago in that interview, I'm going to say it again. we got to get to our last break. We'll be back here on Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST, part of the Panhandle story for 75 years. Here are your hosts, Jordan Warner and Marsha Kavalik. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, brought to you by Sutton & Janelle, full-service law firms from West Virginia and Maryland. You can visit our new historic location in downtown Martinsburg at 224 West King Street. You can always find them online at suttonandjanelle.com. I'm Jordan Warner. Marsha is out for the Thanksgiving break, and we are winding down this Thanksgiving Eve Panhandle Live, and I got my timing all wrong. Go figure. So we're not going to be able to listen to all of this uh, final interview, but uh, it's Otis the Bugman of Berkeley Springs, of Berkeley, of Morgan County, and uh, he came in the other day, and we had a great talk, uh, not just about bugs, but all kinds of stuff. So here he is, Otis the Bugman. You're not going to hear all of it, but of course, you can always uh, listen back to anything over on our Panhandle Live Facebook or Spotify page. So here's Otis the Bugman. It is Otis the Bugman of Berkeley Springs. How you doing, man? Pretty good. How are you doing? Good, good. We're getting fit and drinking yeah. so much water. That's right. That's right. So uh, how's uh, the bug world yeah, treating you now that we're getting into... Uh, there you go. Well, now that we're getting into the wintertime, do you get a little different uh, calls nowadays? Yeah, so we're about to start the transition where you see a lot more rodent activity, um, but it's kind of been ladybug Armageddon. Oh. So, all right. So I got a question about that. So I had my window open uh, over the weekend, I guess, and then all of a sudden I had about 15 million ladybugs all over my Is it an approximate number? Just about. I think it might be off by one or two. Um, but I saw, I kept, then I started seeing all the stuff on Facebook and online about the different types of ladybugs. And the ones that go like into your house, those are ones that you kind of have to keep an eye on, right? Yeah. I mean, well, the, both the, both of them will go into your house, but the ones we've been seeing are Asian lady beetles. Yeah. So those are different than ladybugs. Um, so what's the difference? They do bite. Um, and they like they attack stink. your dogs and they, stuff? They can. It's not as frequent. I mean, usually it's just if they're swarming around like your door, anything mm-hmm. like that, that's when you're going to, if they get on you, they'll probably bite. So what can you do to get ladybugs out of um, your house? Well, really, once they're in your house, it's more of just like vacuuming all the ones you find and as they keep coming out. But mm-hmm. to keep them from in, getting in your house, you just set residual pest control barrier on the outside, which like will just spray on the outside. Once they hit it, they'll die, and then they won't won't keep oh. going back in. Well, I need some of that. 
So yeah, I, I've seen scary pictures on the interwebs of dogs with like oh, you know, ladybugs in their mouths, yeah. where they, you know, and and all of us have had a dog that mm-hmm. like just indiscriminately eats. Yeah, my dog loves to try and eat, but uh, bees. So we don't want them yeah, eating not the, the, best. <laughs> the <laughs> Asian ladybugs, right? Yeah. yeah. So keep them out. Yeah, of the but house. I mean, usually if they're like flying on the side of your house, you're not really going to get. Hopefully, the dog's not going to be like jumping on the side of the house eating mm-hmm. ladybugs. But okay, that's yeah. the hope. So I, I don't expect that you're going to give me the answer like of an expert, you know, entomologist. Is that entomologist? No idea. Entomologist. No idea. You, you may not. Yeah, I'm sure you've run into this, but let me paint a picture. If you're familiar with Toy Story, the mm-hmm. bad kid that lived next door. Just saw a, a fan theory about him, by the way, about how he isn't actually that bad. Well, yeah, yeah. he's just misunderstood. Like, it was a right? bad family. Came anyway, from bad family. so he had like the mechanical spider with the really um, distended like um, arc legs right that he'd screwed the baby doll head on right. you got the picture yeah. right <laughs> so so that's what this bug reminded me of i i've seen like three of them in my basement and they are cricket bugs and whenever you try to like i scoop them up like i take my broom and stuff and put them with a like a dustpan they they jump toward you how and, loud and have you screamed at that you don't want to know <laughs> so um they they just i look at them and i think apocalypse Interesting. So yeah, I from that picture painted, I can't tell you what they are. I'd have okay. to go look at them. Anyway, but well, sweeping them with the broom, you might want to squash them, and they can't jump. See that? that it but don't they tell me. you not to kill the bugs because they're actually like helping keep other bugs out of your house? I don't think that one's helping anything. I think that one's in league with Satan, <laughs> to be honest. But um, so and and uh, with the stink bug, we know that when we crush those, there are consequences. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I really don't want to be responsible for making this thing die in my house so i just get it out and let the well, cold better air than it jumping at you right oh so you'd rather true. so you'd rather it just go out and freeze to death i want than, it to freeze to death yeah then yeah. just immediately getting rid Put of it out of this misery that, okay that makes me sound like a really bad person but okay. i get where you're coming from though i understand where you're coming from so bottom line though to keep critters out What's a good idea? It's just calling us and getting that residual pest control on the outside. It's just once you put that first application, anything trying to move in your house isn't going to make it. And then what else do we got to look out for? Mice, of course, and different yeah, things like that. Yeah, when you said rodents, yeah. Yeah. that's like yeah, so they're trying to come in. Just keeping out, keeping an eye out to see if you're starting to see droppings and things as mice, as mice are trying to move in because of the cold weather, trying to find shelter um, in the warmth. Now, I just got a listener question, and it says uh, that it's for my mom, of course, Marcia. She's always tuned in. <laughs> oh, it's and, great. And uh, she said, my school is overrun with little black worms. What do you think that could be? Ooh. Ooh. That's an interesting. What do you think? Where, where's her school at? Uh, just in Maryland, Hagerstown. Interesting. Little black worms. I have yeah. no clue. I don't know either. Well, yeah. I guess something to look out for. Little black worms, if they're invading. Uh, you can call Otis the bug man, and he can try and configure it out. So if you put this exterior barrier out, yeah. it could prevent that i mean yeah. if, if, if it's inside we're probably gonna have to go inside and spray uh usually for schools they have like an ipm so like it's more just preventative what is an ipm usually, it's more preventative they put out like glue boards and things just try to monitor things and only really like do anything if there's a major concern sounds like that might be a major concern <laughs> yeah, that, that, that doesn't sound good that does not sound well, good maintenance yeah, again, line one as they were speaking with otis the bug man of berkeley springs what else uh, should people be looking out for is there anything maybe deal wise you have going on with the bug man pest control um not necessarily deal wise we're still having some some of the normal things you'll see on our facebook every every so often 20 percent, 15 25 percent off initial services depending on the week or the day 
And that was a little bit of our conversation with Otis the Bugman of Berkeley Springs. Again, uh, you can listen to all of it over on our Panhandle Live Facebook page or on our Panhandle Live Spotify page. Uh, but I think that's just going to uh, just about do it for us here on Panhandle Live for today. Again, Marsha's been out for the Thanksgiving break. She'll be back on Monday. A little bit of a programming note. We're going to have uh, best ofs tomorrow and Friday here on Panhandle Live. So be a little bit more up to date. But we always have such great uh, guests join us here on Panhandle Live. So it's always nice to go back and listen to a little bit of those. Now, I'm taking a quick look here at your traffic situation as it stands out on uh, I-81 and things like that. It looks like uh, things are still good to go on this busiest travel day of the year. Have a great Thanksgiving, uh, you know, Thanksgiving tomorrow. Have a good, uh, safe Thanksgiving Eve today. Don't drink and drive. If you're going to go out, get a designated driver. All those things. But uh, we will talk to you again, well, tomorrow, Friday, and, of course, back live on Monday here on Panhandle Live. So for Marsh Kavalik and Jordan Icewater, it's been Panhandle Live on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Have a good one. We will uh, talk to you again soon. Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.